My friends, the Lord speaks to us. He speaks to us. And he has done so powerfully through the scriptures. So let us hear him as he speaks to us this morning. Behold, the psalmist writes, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down over the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear God, we do give you great thanks as always for the blessing of your word. Speak powerfully to us now at this time we pray through Christ our Lord we ask. Amen. Please be seated. As always, I strongly encourage you to have the scriptures open before you as we look at them together. You can find Psalm 133 right smack in the middle of your Bible. If you open your Bible in front of you and crack that open, you will be able to track Psalm 133, which will help you as we look at this passage together. Uh, I want to begin by giving thanks to the congregation here. Uh, Kelly and I were away on vacation last week, and we appreciated that very much. It's a wonderful gift that the congregation gives after a challenging summer and in anticipation of a rather full fall, so thank you for that time. Kelly and I were uh, up in New England, and we visited this obscure village. Maybe it's a town, but it kind of struck me as a village and as we were walking down this, uh, this avenue, or uh, a little road pathway, I guess, uh, in the village, um, we pass this individual, and he stops, and he looks at me, and he says, hey, are you guys from Pittsburgh? And I thought, I've got that Pittsburgh glow. And you know, he, pointed out one of, he pointed out a T-shirt that one of us had on and said, you know, we realize you're from Pittsburgh. And it was... It was great. We had this little conversation. I mean, there was this immediate sense of connection and stuff. I could have walked by that guy 50 times last week, uh, or sorry, any, any week normally, and would have never paid any attention to him here in Pittsburgh. But because we met in some off place, suddenly there's this great sense of camaraderie. We had this wonderful little interaction. It was a glorious kind of time. I like those kind of sense of those interactions. And uh, luckily, with football starting up here, uh, there'll be opportunities for us to have those kind of experiences. If you've ever been to a stadium, you'll perhaps experience this and, and appreciate this, how uh, through the excitement of the home team, so you, you're, if, you, if the home team's doing well, you can tell there's an energy within the crowd, there's an energy within the fan base, and you end up high-fiving people you don't know, and maybe if you're really aggressive, you hug them and stuff, you know, people across the boards. And, and it's amazing to me what the organist or what the crowd leader can get 30,000 people to do. I have a hard time getting 20 people to do anything I want, but you know, suddenly 30,000 people can get, think about the wave. You guys know the wave if you're at a crowd? You know, suddenly, okay, let me see. Let's see if we can do this. Over here, everybody. All right, now, sit down. I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, my gosh. can't believe we did that. Um, you know, but picture, picture that you can get 30,000 people all packed in doing something together. Now, I don't know about, even if you're a curmudgeon uh, and refuse to actually participate, there's a smile on my face as everybody else is doing it. I'm sitting there thinking, this is great, and there's this sense of unity and bondedness that is just really inspiring and kind of, we live in a society right now that seems to relish dissension. It seems to feed off of not just disagreement, but acrimony. 
and frustration and hostility, enmity. Now, I'm not trying to have rose-colored glasses here. Uh, I'm well aware that when I was young and in centuries beforehand, there has always been disagreement within society, and sometimes that disagreement expresses itself in horrific ways. So I'm not trying to deny all that, but I do think that there was a time, I, I, I sound like, you know, I'm an old guy here, get off my lawn, but it seems like there used to be a, a time where you at least tried to control the acrimony that you would feel, the antagonism that you would feel towards somebody that you would disagree with. We, we live in a society where that's not the case, where, where we just give rein to it. I have to say, I hate that. I personally hate it, in part because I know that I participate in it. I'm far from being somebody that communicates in a way that avoids that kind of acrimony. I participate it's in my character and history, in my own history. There have been times where that has been uh, a mark of my life that shames me now. But I also hate it because it's so evident, I think, from the scriptures that that's not the way we're supposed to be. Now, we can't necessarily control the society around us. By God's grace, we can influence it. But it should look different here within the church. Whatever church you normally participate in, by the scriptures, it should look different. If you were listening carefully to the scripture that Jerry read today, it falls all over itself, trying to encourage a sense of camaraderie, a sense of togetherness, a sense of something that is all too often lost when we interact with each other. That's certainly the case with the psalm that we have before us. The psalm we have before us makes one simple point. It makes the point that it is good and pleasant when brothers dwell in unity. That's the point. And then it follows with two metaphors that kind of fill that out a little bit, flesh that out for us. We're going to look at this a little bit just to make sure that we're all on the same page because this is a standard passage to talk about when you want to talk about how we're supposed to dwell together or what should it look like for us to dwell together. What should it be like when there is disagreement that exists within this community right here? How, how should we appear? Uh, the great passage in Scripture says that as long as it depends upon you, be at peace. And then the passage that Jerry read, talking about being peaceful, the way in which we interact with one another, uh, it doesn't deny disagreement. It doesn't deny that there are issues that uh, we feel strongly about. But how do we interact in those uh, issues? This text, behold how good it is and pleasant when brothers dwell together in unity. Uh, it starts out with behold. And by the way, um, you behold something that is extraordinary. You behold something that's reality, but it's something that's extraordinary reality. That's the way in which Scripture uses that term. That's the way we use the term. If you doubt yourself, uh, you know, walk into your home here later today and say, behold the couch. And everybody will look at the couch. Like, what's it doing? What's it going to do? You know, and you're like, no, no, just behold it. You know, the, the word doesn't work that way. 
You're supposed to behold something that is, that is you know, ah, it's awe-inspiring or, it's, or it's, it's extraordinary. And the psalmist here recognizes that. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And I want you to recognize this, that it's not so that you can become brothers dwell in unity. It is not, we are not the children of God when we successfully figure out how we're supposed to dwell together in unity. The text assumes that we are brothers and sisters together in Christ. Why? Because that's God's work. God has made you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ right now, you are my brother. You are my sister. We are brothers and sisters together. The challenge that this text puts forward is, behold how good and pleasant it is when we actually live that which we truly are. Brothers and sisters together in the Lord. How good and pleasant is the terms. Now, this might be just poetic language. You know, we need an extra couple of beats in the verse, and so they throw in a synonym. But I don't think so. How good it is when brothers dwell in unity. This is an assessment of objective reality. What is it in truth? In truth, in reality, if you experience it or not, to the extent that there is unity in this body, it is good. There is a goodness about this. It is productive of life. It is a blessing of life when we dwell together in unity. But beyond that, this text says it's not just good, but it's also pleasant. That's the experience. In other words, it's not just theoretically good or good that we don't understand, but when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity, it's not just good, but it's also pleasant. There is a goodness and a pleasantness that is present when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. That's what the author here is beholding. He is now, I'm assuming he's witnessing it. He's not speaking simply of a theoretical idea, wouldn't it be great if? But he's actually saying, look, this is what it means for brothers and sisters to dwell together in unity. I'm beholding it, and I want you to as well. It is good, and it is pleasant. And I think it is good and it is pleasant for three different reasons that are played out in the metaphors that we see here. First metaphor is that it's like precious oil on the head running down the beard. Okay, it's like oil on the head. And if you're familiar at all with uh, the Mideast, uh, even now, but certainly uh, hundreds of years ago, uh, oil was an incredible gift that the Lord gave to that community. Um, I, you use it for all the purposes that we use it today, but it was also medicinal. It, it helped heal you in so many different ways. It soothed the skin after being in the sun the whole day. It was, a, it was just, and it was hard to come by. You had to have at least three years of peace within the nation in order for there to be a good olive crop where you could get the oil that is necessary. So it's a sign of God's blessing. It's a sign of God's goodness and all of these kind of things when you have this oil that is pouring out all over the place. But that's not just, this is not a generic sense of oil. Specifically, it's down the beard of Aaron. Now, if you have your scriptures uh, in mind, you know that Aaron was the head of the priest order. He was the priest, the, the, the first of the priests, and then all of the people descended from Aaron were the priests of the people. And so nobody chose to become a priest. You were chosen by God. 
to be a priest. And so the anointing of oil running down the beard is, in, is a setting aside by God himself to be a priest. Now this is, the, the text says, it is like, what is like? Brothers dwelling together in unity is like this anointing of God for Aaron. How is it like it? How is it similar? In the same way, the second metaphor is that it's dew running down the mountain of Hermon. Mount Hermon was 100 miles north, uh, 125 miles north of Jerusalem or so. It's the highest, one of the higher mountains in all of Jerusalem, and it is renowned for having dew on it throughout the year. Now, when you have months and months where the rainfall is very minimal, this dew that falls on Mount Hermon is an incredible blessing to the people. And so brothers dwelling together in unity is like the dew that falls down or like the oil that pours down. How is it like it? Well, I think first we have to recognize that it is a gift of the Lord. Nobody makes it do. God makes it do. Nobody decides to anoint somebody with oil. God appoints them to be anointed with oil. If you've ever done those uh, team building exercises where you get out and you have to accomplish a certain task and stuff like that, if you've ever seen the one that's a 10-foot or a 12-foot wall or something like that, and the whole team has to get up over the wall. Um, if you've ever participated in these kind of things, I, I've done a number of them and those kind of things, and the first thing you have to get out of your system is the idiots that want to do it themselves. You know, and so here, here comes a guy that thinks that he's going to run against this uh, 12-foot wall and, and leap with his superpowers or put his foot on it and jump up or all these kind of stuff. And the rest of you just kind of sit there and wait till he's done. And once he's exhausted himself, he says, okay, because the only way to do that is by functioning as a team and ultimately to have somebody pull you up from down below. There's no way it can be accomplished by itself. It has to be something that is given to you. Unity of the brothers and sisters is a gift of the Lord. It's crystal clear in the metaphors and the use of the metaphors here that what God is saying is that blessed is this place because God himself has reached out and he has acted. God himself has done what he needs to do. So it is a gift of the Lord. But let's face it. A lot of gifts are gifts that we need, but don't necessarily want. And then there are gifts that we want. I have been a father for some time and uh, a, a man in the business world for some time, and so I have gotten used to receiving gifts that I need. Uh, here's a new shirt. Here's a tie, which I forgot today. Uh, here's, uh, you know, here's so socks or something like that. I get gifts uh, that, that I need. And I appreciate that. And sometimes we talk about the blessings of God that way, and we all know it's true. Um, very infrequently do I not interact with somebody who says, you know, hey, I've had this really hard experience that has taken place, and, and I talk with people. I was speaking with a, an older woman earlier uh, this week, and she was speaking about some of the difficulties, the hardships of her life, and yet she wrapped it up by saying, but, you know, it's been a blessing from the Lord. It's been a blessing. And, and I thought, yes, that's a gift from the Lord, but it's not necessarily one that you want. It's one that you realize it's a blessing after the fact. That's not this blessing. When the scriptures portray this discussion about how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity, 
The imagery that God uses to communicate this is not that it's just a blessing that you need, but it's a blessing that you want. It's something that is positive for you, something that is exciting. So here's what happens. The, the um, guy is covered with oil. The a priest is covered with oil. And you can see the abundance of it. It runs down the beard and it kind of soaks into his robes. So when, you're anoint when he's being anointed, this is not putting a little dab of oil on the forehead. He's getting drenched in it. And the oil, it most, if you know, uh, this is you know, it's similar to our vegetable oil, so you kind of know the texture of it and stuff. The, the priest, after being anointed by oil, what's he do? He goes out and ministers into the community. And everywhere he goes, he's got that, that slickness of the oil that everybody he touches, it, it, that oil spreads, that blessing spreads to everybody because of the people that he touches across the board. And not only that, but they mix the oil with these herbs and herbs, herbs and, uh, and uh, herbs. I don't know what they mix them with. They mix them with smelly stuff. So that when he comes and goes, he's got the oil that is running down his beard and it's soaking into his clothes. And you can tell he's coming because he smells. And that aroma of the priest, the aroma of God's presence comes and goes wherever he goes. And it's a blessing that you cannot avoid because of the overabundance of the oil that God has poured out. That's the blessing that God, the dew that falls upon Hermon. The dew that, that falls here is said in the scripture, it falls all the way down to the mountains of Zion. Now the mountains of Zion are about 125 miles away. So I think just uh, meteorologically, uh, it's not possible for the drew, dew that hits Hermon to work its way down to Zion. But the imagery here is exactly you're supposed to be caught up by the impossibility of that and to think that when brothers dwell together in unity, when brothers and sisters are connected together in this great way, it's like this overabundance of the very life-giving thing that the land needs, the dew from Hermon, that it spreads so far that there's so much of it that it spreads all the way across the land, all the way down to Mount Zion, 125 miles away. So you're supposed to get this overabundance excitement about how wonderful it is to get this gift to have this blessing from the Lord it's a gift of the Lord this goodness of God is a gift of the Lord it's also a blessing from the Lord and then finally it's a foretaste of living with the Lord look at the very end of this of the passage here Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil. It's like the dew of Hermon. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing. And what is the blessing? Life forevermore. Okay. How good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell in unity. It is good for brothers and sisters to dwell in unity because it is a foretaste of what is yet to come. My grandmother was a wonderful cook, and whenever we went over to her house, she would have things going on, you know, walk right into the kitchen and things would be cooking all over the place. And of course, everything smelled wonderful and it made your mouth salivate and all these kind of things. And my grandmother was, I don't know how she did this. We had all the kids would be running around all the kind of time, but she was able to keep track of each kid because each kid only got one taste before the meal. And you couldn't sneak in a second one because she would know. Um, and so you would get this one taste. And she always gave the And the taste never satisfied. 
It never satisfied. It was great. My grandmother was this fabulous cook. It was wonderful, but it never satisfied. All it made you do was yearn for more. It made you want to get to dinner and come quickly. And of course, that's exactly what my grandmother was doing. She was tempting us. The unity of the brotherhood here, the unity that we're supposed to experience is supposed to be so good and pleasant that it's a foretaste. We're supposed to sense it and yearn for something better. Life forevermore. Being present with God. How good and pleasant it is for brothers who dwell in unity together. It is a gift of God. It is a blessing of God. And it's a foretaste of living with God. So what? I mean, that's what the text says. The text articulates what I've just articulated for you. I think if we leave worship right now, you've got a good understanding of what the passage says. I hope you do. And then we can see what the Spirit does in your life with it. I want, desperately, to have a good and pleasant life. I want to have a good and pleasant life. And part of the way I understand this text is that that's a possibility for me as I am dwelling in unity with my brothers and sisters. I desperately want my wife to have a good and pleasant life. Of everything that I want for her when I come home at the end of the day, how I would yearn for hear her say, boy, I had a good and pleasant day today. I want her to have that good and pleasant day. Well, brothers dwell together in unity. I want for each and every one of you to have a good and pleasant life. This is what the scriptures are saying. This is what it means to have a good and pleasant life for brothers and sisters to dwell together in unity. I desperately want that for you. I really want you to have a good and pleasant life. I don't desire anything short of that for every one of you. And so the so what is, this is being held forward for us of what is, our long national nightmare is over. Football starts in a couple weeks. Um, so I'm grateful for, for that. And we've talked about this in, in other settings. You've, you've understood this uh, scenario where the, the team unity, that there's something about what happens in the locker room, the, the camaraderie of the team, impacts the way they play on the field. It's hard to find any coach that talks about the winning season that doesn't talk about how well the team gelled together. Now, maybe that's just bunk. Um, but that's the way they talk. They all speak about how the fact that there was a connectedness and intimacy within the team, that there was a camaraderie, that doesn't mean that they all played the same position. It doesn't mean that they all got along. It doesn't mean that they all liked each other. The so what of this text is not the charge for you to go out there and learn to like the people that you're sitting near that you don't like. There are going to be people that don't like me. There's going to be people here that I don't like. There's gonna be people that don't like each other. 
There's going to be disagreements that we have. There's going to be serious disagreements that we have. That's not what this text is talking about. This text is talking about not a uniformity, not where make sure nobody ever disagrees about anything, but how we live together in the midst of our disagreement because unity is a gift from God. It is a blessing of the Lord, and it's a foretaste of what is supposed to come in the future for us. That's what's set before us here by the Lord, a blessing a gift, a foretaste of God of what it means for us to be good and pleasant in this life in the midst of our disagreement and difficulties. There's a thousand wonderful things that are happening around Hebron all the time. I would love to be the guy that tells you all about them. If you're wondering what some of those thousands are. Catch me after this. Catch any of the leaders of the church after this. We can tell you of the great things that are happening around Hebron. There are also hundreds of things that people would think we should do differently, or we could do better, or we should do better. All of that is on the table as we interact together as a body, but it's on the table for us to interact with as a body in unity, in unity. That's the so what. That's how we get to experience this good and pleasant life that, psalm, that the psalmist is speaking about. Having said that, the psalmist does leave us dangling. And I hope that you sense that a little bit. If you do, by the way, come up and tell me afterwards because I'll be happy about how I frame the sermon. Because uh, I'm trying to lead you to a spot where unity just seems something that is so desirable, but how do we get it? Because the realities are, we are going to disagree. There are going to be people here that you don't like. There are programs that we're not doing that we should be doing. There are things that we are doing that we shouldn't be doing, uh, that you think we shouldn't be doing. There are all those things that are before us, and yet it is good and pleasant for us to dwell together in unity. Unity in the Old Testament had the experience of being part of the people of God. And they understood unity in terms of their faithfulness to the Mosaic Law. The New Testament for us portrays a deeper challenge for us. And this is the basis of the text that Jerry read earlier. And I'd encourage you, you can focus on Psalm 133, yeah, if you like, but I'd really like you to focus on the text that Jerry read the Ephesians for. Because the basis of our unity is not our good feelings for each other. It is not the uniformity of our thought. It is not our commitment to plow through no matter how bad it gets. The basis of our unity together is the one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one hope, one God and Father of us all, one Savior, Jesus Christ. If we miss this, 
Psalm 133 becomes nothing but a, an ideal that we're never going to reach. Because how do we handle it when we have disagreement? How do we handle it when you don't like something that's happening around here? I, you have to use your critical faculties. Criticism of what we're doing here, criticism of each other, criticism of the way we think, that's all part of being human. It's all part of having the Spirit work in and through us to fashion a godly community. Being negative, that's a different story. And all of you know when you slide from being critical to being negative. It is good and pleasant for us to dwell together in unity. And that is possible not when we pursue unity, not when we try hard to get it, because it's an outgrowth of something else. What is that, out, what is that something else? It is our hardcore, committed, dedicated pursuit of nothing other than Jesus Christ. If you find yourself negative or critical towards me or towards the church or towards your neighbors or towards our brothers and sisters that are part of other communions, I beg you, turn your heart to Jesus Christ. Pursue nothing other than him. The Gospels, the New Testament, the Paul's letters, they do a fabulous job of saying, look, this is who Christ is. He bonds us together as one because there is but one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, one Savior, Jesus Christ. Yes? Okay, then let's wave about it. Here, no, stop it. Don't do that. No. Let's pray together. Lord, we are so grateful for the blessings that you give us through Jesus Christ. One of those great blessings that has been portrayed for us before us is the, the blessing of a good and pleasant life when we dwell together in unity. Lord, for the times in the past where we have fostered disunity in our hearts, we confess those to you. We pray, Lord, that you would prevent that from happening, that you would allow us to bounce quickly off of negative thoughts when they arise about our brothers or sisters or neighbors or friends uh, or believers within the church here, the ministries that take place, that you would allow us to be critical and assess things without breaking that unity, but actually by fostering that unity because we focus our attention upon you. Lord, that's only going to be possible if you do it. You make that so, Lord, for us, we pray. Guide us into your presence more and more deeply so that there we might experience the unity of the brothers and sisters that brings that good and pleasant experience that is ours in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.